I'm Ellie Kumar and this is My Voice, a series of conversations where we highlight the work of black and Asian people in the arts. We'll be hearing from some of the most exciting voices in literature, art, theatre, poetry, filmmaking and more and tackling issues like representation and diversity in the industry. Today I'm talking to the multi-talented author Catherine Johnson. She's written everything from books for children and historical fiction to working on a screenplay for a new series focusing on the lives of black Tudors in the 17th century in London. We talk about how Black History Month is still vitally important when it comes to diversifying education. Oh, it was such a long time ago now. I didn't start off being a writer. I expect when I was at primary school, I would have said, yes, I want to be a poet or something. I wanted to do everything and I thought I could do everything. But I didn't like secondary school and I responded to the, you're terrible, with like, I will show you how terrible I can be. So the early promise I showed went downhill. I went to art college. I had a lovely time. I went to um, St. Martin's and did film. And it was the early 80s and there was a lot of pop videos. I wasn't really that good or into it. And I wasn't very good at staying up late. And I had children quite young. And it was after I had my children, I was sort of working in the office. It was, that sounds glamorous. It was me, one other woman, and we worked together afterwards in a sort of warehouse. It sounds glamorous. It wasn't, it was damp. And it was before gentrification in Hackney and... She was a really good video editor. I just couldn't be bothered. I had children, I was in the office and I would blag, it's what I've been doing. When I was at school, there were no mobile phones. So I'd be outside the school office blagging tickets for gigs in London by pretending to be something. I sold a film script, an idea. I got a little bit in advance and I thought, this is quite good, I could do this. But then I realized I couldn't write that because it was sort of based on my parents and they were both still alive at the time. And one of the, you know, I would have had to write a sort of smoochy scene with my parents. So I tried something else, which was, you know, outlines for, for pitching things. And it was an utter fluke. Somebody in the office of some TV company had a friend who was starting a small arts council funded publisher they were looking for teenage stories and this was a, the, the the pitch for that show was a, a teenage show and uh uh they sent it to that publisher i said are you mad i've never written a book because i never re- wrote anything long at school they liked it and they sort of held me out on my hand and sent me on courses with like bernice rubens and jan mark and Catherine fisher and once i'd done it once i was like oh and then I was working part-time in a bookshop in Tower Hamlets at the time as well with my, you know, my kids were at school. I had lots of little jobs like that, as well as the kids. I was writing residence in Holloway Prison. That was good. And then I got a job doing a film script, a fluke again. And from that, I got more TV work, little bits, because I still had children. I was still working part-time. I've written about 20-something books, and I've written one feature film that's got made only uh, I've written for telly I've written radio this year I wrote a poem that got published probably the first time in my entire life I've done a lot of work but I have been writing for 27 years or something do you have a sense when you start a project that this is for television or this no, is no, a book? no 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 so mostly up until very recently 
all of my screen work was people coming to me saying, would you do this? And of course I would do this because it pays a gazillion more than books. One thing that I, I must say now, I mean, I used to write children's and YA novels. Um, I haven't written a novel because I cannot afford to write a novel because I'm self-supporting and I have to make a living at it. It's not that I think, oh, this will make, I, I wish I had that luxury reclining on my couch going, oh, what will I write next? No. So the, the books that I've written in the past three, since I'm single lady, I've all been, people have said to me, so the one that did very well for me last year, two years ago, Freedom, we want a book set Actually, they said they wanted it 1833, the end of slavery. I said, no, that's wrong. Or I pitched them. I wrote one that came out about Thomas Alexander Dumas, the father of the writer. And actually, I'd wanted to write that because he's a background in one of the last novels I wrote, which is set in France. And he's so fascinating. And I just thought there should be a book about him. So sometimes I will pitch those sorts of history books. A lot of the time, people come to me and say, Will you do, and because I've got a reputation for doing history, will you write about this? Will you do that? Particularly when it comes to things like history and historical fiction. One of the other people we've spoken to was the novelist Sarah Collins. One of the things that we talked a lot about was this need to kind of blend history and literature as one and that you can't really look at history separately from literature. Well, Do you feel I that? don't know. I, I, the, the reason why I got into writing historical fiction, which is a long time ago now, I was writing contemporary. I write, started writing historical fiction maybe 20 years ago. I read a book called Staying Power. I Also, I didn't do an academic degree. Also, I was so bad at history or I hated it at school I haven't got an O-level they, they wouldn't let me take it because I was so crap because I, I wouldn't write the essays but I loved historical drama on the telly I loved the outfits and when I was a, a, a kid when we only had three channels you'd watch stuff on the telly you'd play it in the playground and you'd want to play the characters with the big swishy frocks so I always wanted to write stories in which there were people like me in frocks and also the other reason I write British history is I grew up in London, mixed race. Nowadays, it's nothing. But when I grew up, it was very, you were neither one thing nor the other. And I felt very strongly that I was here. You know, I don't come from where my parents come from. Most Londoners don't come from, whatever colour they are, don't come from where their parents come from. But I was saying with the stories that there have been people like me here for centuries. So that was my agenda when I started. And obviously the reading, you just find out fascinating stuff and you go, oh, and it's just interesting and fun. And there's nice frocks. We used to wrap blankets around, tie blankets around our waist to be. Yeah, swish them. I think the point is that, and that's what Sarah said, that's what so many people, not just authors, but in, in kind of all different genres yeah. that we've been talking. You think, you think, how would it be like, you know, to live in, it is speculative fiction, really, because, of course, one cannot know. So it is just as much uh, speculative, especially if you're writing for young readers. It's as much fantasy adventure. It's, 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 it's more real than, than an out-and-out -out fantasy because 
it could have happened, but it's also for your young readers, what's at stake for those young people in that time? They've got more agency because they're normally working. And very often it's life or death, just living, just trying to make a living. So there's so much more story fuel. You have done a lot of work for children and young adults, um, particularly in, in fiction and books. One of the things that we've been talking about through this whole series and that this series is trying to kind of raise is the need for more representation in in books, in TV, in poetry, in everything, but particularly for children and particularly for young people. And obviously you said yourself that it's something that you felt as a child, that I felt as a child. Why is it so important that kids can just see that? If you're a child growing up anywhere, normally your references will normally be, well, first of all, your own family, then neighbours, then friends, parents, then as to what is possible in life. If your dad is a hairdresser and your mum is a teacher, you, you're more likely to think those jobs are possible. You're not going to think you're a writer because, I'm talking of my generation, people like me did not be writers. Having said that, I did come from a background where, because my mother first language was Welsh and not English and they have a big working class people as writers uh, making poetry that was something somebody you know oh there is your cousin he has written a poem it's like what you think is possible isn't it if, if your parents are doctors you might think that being a doctor is something that's open to you whereas if no neither of your parents went to university it's going to be harder so if you have a book and if all books are written by the same sort of people, children's publishing is lovely. The people are lovely. There's, but it is a business. This is the, it's a trap, really. The people that are in there generally will have the same, come from the same sort of background. And they, they're always going on about how they want new readers. They want new readers, but they don't know how to engage those readers. For example, if you go to the theatre in London, which is a really expensive thing to go to the theatre, most mainstream theatre, this is in the before times, the audience will be white. You go to the theatre, if it's a black playwright, a black play, you know, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom or Small Island or something by, you know, Kwame Kweama or, you know, a modern black writer, Debbie Tucker Green. You look at the audience, you look at how different the audience looks. There'll be more people who will say, this is something for someone like me and it's the same with books but the trouble is until there are more writers i'm not saying there, there will always be readers there will always be readers and people like you and me and women women in general women will read books with men as the main characters in because women are slightly marginalized in society we know how men works because we've seen them we've spent our whole life jumping around putting on men's skins and imagining what that's like if you're not mainstream white person we know what it's like because we spend ages jumping around in those people's skins. Just like white young readers know what American society looks like because they spend a lot of time putting on those American minds so they know what s'mores are. They know how the American school system works. We know how that works, but they don't necessarily know how this works. A friend of mine just had her book out. She's just an experienced novelist. And the editors have missed spellings of Dizzy Rascal, Labyrinth, Rihanna. It's just little, little cultural things like that. It's, but until there's that editorial thing, 
where people are used to what's going on, it, they'll get it wrong. Just like, you know, oh, who are the Beatles? I think for all kinds of, of creative things, the reader and the audience always put their own kind of meaning on it. But yeah. I think it's always sort of more so with books because you're projecting. Yeah, it happens in your head, doesn't it? Yeah. As, as a kid, particularly, when you're reading books that have consistently all white characters and and you don't ever feel like you've ever been described. And even with things like Harry Potter, when with the whole Hermione Granger and, and whether or not she, she was black, and obviously it caused a massive issue and, and people got very upset about it for, for no reason at all, really. Do you think that there's hope that actually with more books with explicitly black you need characters... Explicit. You do need explicit because people always default to white. We, you and me, because that's how we've been grown up, not just white people. We default to white in a book, maybe in a different format, but in a book, because a book is authority, a book is education. So the more characters there are, yes, provided they are just like everything else, well-written and, you know, goodies, baddies, all sorts. So yes, hopefully the more there are, but we need more writers, we need more writers from different backgrounds, race, gender, class, class. I cannot stress that enough. I mean, the thing is to write a book, it's such a bloody fab and most people won't earn money from it. You've got to do it because you like doing it. You've got to do it because you, you want to do it. So yes, I hope it is changing. I, I mean, I hope that will change for young young readers. There's Knights Of who produce a lot of good books for younger readers and Nathan Byron and Daps, you know, Look Up and lovely picture books with different characters in. So yeah, there's, there's some hope. I'm old and cynical. Yeah, so it's a vicious circle is what I'm saying. And publishers are saying we want to do this, but it's really hard when they don't know where to look for writers and also people who might have really good stories or re but also how do you make a bloody living at it? You do not, you need a partner, you need, I have social housing. I am established now, so I am old. My children are grown up. I can afford to do this even though I don't have a partner, but how do you get in? How do you develop? I think a lot of people are better paid than I was. That's probably why I went sideways back into telly. But how do you, if you're, you know, they're always looking for debuts. Publishing is like spread betting. Publish lots and lots and lots of books. And I hope that this one comes and then they'll publish a whole more load of books. Now, that's all well and good. And usually if somebody gets published, that's usually their like fourth book, fifth book, maybe third book, maybe eighth book. Hopefully their 10th book is going to be better. If you're just giving them a two book deal and their first book doesn't do very well, and so you, the, the second one is published with no marketing. Most books are published with no. Most books don't get on a table in Waterstones. Most books aren't. How are they gonna, how are they gonna live? And if they're an ordinary person with kids to feed, their husband hasn't got a job, they're not high earning, it's vicious circle again. One of the things that I've noticed, your name is on the signatures of the 
Black Writers Guild open letter calling for changes in the publishing industry. So I wondered, have you seen any changes yet? Well, no. I, I mean, I haven't because I'm out of it. I think what that came out of was in the wake of the death of George Floyd, all these publishers start saying, oh, yes, we stand. And a lot of writers were like, hang on a minute. You're saying this in public, but what are you actually doing, you know? The thing is, most people in publishing, I mean, I'm talking about children's publishing, but I don't know about adult publishing. Most people in children's publishing are lovely people. And they mean well. And they want to open the doors and make it less of a closed shop. But entry-level wages are low. Uh, it's also, it's again, you go back to the thing about jobs. First-generation immigrants, I don't know, you might be second or third. So my parents... My father practically wept when I went to art college. Do you know what I mean? I should have got a proper job. If you go into publishing on the grant entry level, it's not a big wage. If you don't live in London, you probably can't afford to do that. I mean, this goes for class. It's not just race, it's class, I have to say. Just as important. And the fact is that more non-white people are working class, which is where the whammy hits us. So I don't know how that changes. I mean, there are more internships with wages. The thing is, it's not a one-off thing. If everything is just a one-off thing, if everything is just a diversity initiative, how does it change? And then it means that people like me, oh, you just got published because you're brown. And it's also, that's the voice inside your head as well. So yes, other people will be saying that, but it's also you thinking, did I just get this? Did I just get this thing? Because I'm, you know... Do, am I really worth it? I can't be really. If I was worth it, I'd sell a lot more books. So it must just be that people feel sorry for me. You have this internalised stuff going on. And the external, because I think most writers, oh, I don't, most, I mean, you get some writers who, you know, bollocks swinging. But most writers, oh, I'm terrible, you know. But you have this, this is internal and external, if you're not white, or poor, or both. Yeah, and I think that's that's where the sort of the issue comes from, in that you just sort of always feel like, am I am I doing this because I like it and because I'm good at it, or am I doing this because the the bosses thought, okay, well that that'll check a box, yeah. and yeah, and if anything good happens, you, did you earn it or were you given it? Did you really earn it? Oh no, you really like your work. If you really like my work, why aren't you paying me more for it? Uh, I feel like you probably have been in this, you know, I've been in, in job interviews or in, in meetings. And I mean, in the sort of the workplace that I'm at the moment, I'm the only person of colour. And sometimes it's, you don't even notice it when people say something and you just think, oh, I probably wouldn't have said that. Should, should you have said that? But <laughs> it's so... But so, then you have to be the bad one all the time. Oh, she's so sensitive. Oh, shit. Yeah. responsible for everything. And also your books, your books, yourself. You're responsible. I mean, it's getting better. There are more, you know. But what I, what I worry about is that, is the sustainability of it. But that goes for all writers. How does a writer sustain a career in books? I mean, to be honest, I, I, 
I'd love to write a novel, but I, I know whatever stage you are at your career, you've got to sort of carve out that time for it. And I'm so busy keeping my body and soul together at the moment. And there are other people, you know, all over the country getting up at, you know, whatever stupid o'clock to write the book because they want to write a book. And the only way to get good at this is when that book, when you've written that book and you've sent it out and people have said no, the minute you've sent it out, before they get the no's back, start writing the next one. But it's really difficult when, if you've got family, relationships, because it is a selfish thing. It's if you're not earning. question that we ask everyone on this series which I think to some extent you have you have already sort of talked about but within your industry do you feel represented by me I'm lucky I have a voice so I represent myself what I would say now is as a 50 woman I would say no but you know there are more voices you know me personally I think actually having said that I'm doing a TV pilot. I, I, I did a Tudor thing. I did the black, an adaptation of the Black Tudors. And the lovely TV company said, Have you, you know, we'd like you to do something contemporary. So I am actually writing about older ladies. I would say women my age, because women my age tend to be big consumers of culture. And we're very ignored, I think. Everyone wants to be young. My knees would like to be young. I, but also, if you, you, somebody my age, grows up not expecting to be represented. I never expected. People who have adventures in books, in kids' books, always white. And that's who has the adventures. Well, then when my teenager, people who fall in love don't look like me. We don't fall in love. People who get married, no, 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 because everybody knows that mixed-race people are liars and untrustworthy. I read it in... in um, to kill a mockingbird so I know it's true I, people like me we're the saddest people in the world so we don't get the break so I'm not I don't expect to be represented it's what so many in different words it's what so many people have said yeah. and it is so part of this series is kind of hoping to to for a start like diversify education one part of that is obviously changing the history curriculum and the things that we're taught in history. In school, we briefly learn about the slave trade and then we spent about three years learning about the Wars of the Roses and the Tudors and... What's interesting, which is why we love stories, is people. And I think, I think the big takeout for residents of this island, if, they, if you want to know how we've got to where we are with the population that we have, you do have to look at the colonization that went on because that's why people like you and me are here. You know, it's not for a lark, you know. You know, explaining why, why the country looks like it does might be quite useful. I used to be a Londoner. I was born in London. I don't say that now. I say, see this, this is English. This is what English, my parents are, both parents, <laughs> this is what English looks like. And it's always looked a bit like this for at least 2000 years. I think really that's the bottom line. If you look 
at the shifting population. You look at where we are, the way that trade and everything crisscrosses. The wealth of this country was built on enslaved labor, but it was also built on the mammoth interchange of ideas, of knowledge from all over the world, the wealth of nations. And that, if you look at what makes successful countries at any time, it is that openness and that talking. I think, I, I just think that people need to know that this country, this island, has always been full of different languages. Like I said, my, my grandparents only spoke Welsh. You know, and there was a lot of that about. You look at Tudor London, where there were all different languages, absolute enclaves where there was only German spoken or French spoken or Welsh spoken. Or People think now is different because it might be Polish or Romanian. And it's like, oh, for God's sake, get a grip, you know. And what is English but a mongrel tongue? More, and actually, people get really upset about that. You ask anybody about anything, what any, anything needs is hybrid vigour. Anything pedigree withers. I think if you, yeah, if you, even if you look at dogs, they're the ones that are... That's what I'm saying! I read an article that you wrote, I think it was in 2016, about the need for Black History Month and the fact that we do still need it because it's still not being taught and so I was going one of the questions that I'd written down was I mean do you think that it's do you think anything's changed since you wrote that article probably not I mean it's not that you know teachers have a really tough job you can't do everything you can't there's so much they're expected to do there's so much they expected to teach kids and there is a part of me that says writing essays about anything can be a really massive turnoff. And I think maybe, you know, is it, is it the text? I don't, I don't make things. It's a little bit changed because it's sort of trickling down. I mean, it would be nice if every month, because black British history is British history. It's just British history. It's all our stories, you know. It was just, when I started reading the article, I genuinely thought it was, a fairly recent one because mm -hmm. everything you were saying and then I looked at the date on the top and I was like oh, <laughs> oh that was from four, four years ago. <laughs> the idea of changing the school curriculum or making it more inclusive and I mean we have seen already only a couple of months ago the first time this was brought up I think this year and the government came back and said no we've looked and we think that the curriculum is diverse enough. I have uh sort of mixed feelings because you need to know the wealth of this country is built on the backs of enslaved people it's just a fact you cannot say otherwise you know they only stopped paying reparations how long ago is it 10 years ago i mean that one fact they stopped paying reparations to these slave owners not the enslaved people also one other fact so the trade has been over 250 years. Nobody has told sharks this. Sharks still migrate following the route of the slave ships because they were so used to bodies dead and alive going over. 
It's absolutely mind-blowing. You know, it's things like that we need to know. It leaves a big thumbprint on a people's psyche. But we are where we are now. But it's important for young people, for all young people in this country to have a stake in this country. I have no choice. I do not come from where my parents come from. I come from here. This is it. This is my home. Whatever anyone might say to me, there's nowhere else. This is it. And I have a right to be here. And I have a right to make the future. The facts about how that came about, they're really important. The whole point of this is to enable young people and not so young people to be reminded that this place and because for a lot of us if we're born here if we're second generation third generation this is it this is where we're going to contribute you know we are going to make and help grow to kind of look back more at your your work and all the different elements of your work and everything that you've done obviously it's a difficult question because for a lot of people in the arts a lot of it is you create it sort of for yourself as much as for anyone else but for the readers of your books or the people who've seen your screen the things that you've you've done on tv or on the radio or heard on the radio what would you want them to take away from it oh i just want i want people to be entertained and I want them to be moved. It depends. If it is a history thing, I want that. And I want them to go, oh, like, for instance, with that shark. Oh, yeah, that's interesting, as well as being moved and entertained. It depends what it is. But yes, I go for moving and entertaining. Southwark, the historical drama with Catherine as screenwriter is currently being developed for TV and you can find out more about her work from our Twitter and Instagram. This Is My Voice is a series produced by me, Ellie Kumar.